Hey, everybody. Are you with me when I say life can be amazing at times, but it can also be extremely challenging? I know. I've been there myself. Learned some valuable life lessons along the way, and now I'm here to help you. It's no coincidence you've found your way to the Relevate podcast. I'm your host, Rena Olson, a self-proclaimed inspirer of others. Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey, friends. Today on the Relevate podcast, we are talking about two of my favorite things, cowboys and fitness. My guest is Jim Owen, a former Wall Street banker turned author, inspirational speaker, and social entrepreneur who is an expert on both subjects. Many of my friends who live out West are familiar with Jim's name and the legacy of his work. Jim wrote the stunning book, Cowboy Ethics, What It Takes to Win at Life. The Cowboy Code narrative in this book has since been adopted by the state of Wyoming as the Wyoming State Code of Ethics. How cool is that? Jim and I also chat about his latest project, Just Move, a fabulous book which encourages people over age 50 to get up and move and embrace a healthy, purpose-filled life. I know you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Jim Owen, welcome to the Relevate podcast. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I appreciate you being here so much. So before you were an author, an inspirational speaker, you had a 35-year career on Wall Street. Can you share more about that time in your life and how your experience as a Wall Street banker was pivotal in helping shape the next phase of your career? Well, it's a great question. People think about Wall Street, and they think about statistics and math and corporate finance and, this, and this spreadsheets. I looked upon it as a a study in human nature myself. Mm -hmm. And what I learned early on in my career that's helped me, you know, all these years was the fact that about half the world is driven by the philosophy in order for me to win, somebody has to lose. Mm -hmm. I learned that very quickly. And most people are often toxic. And I built my whole career around finding people, if you will, who looked at the world like I did, which is win, win, win. Mm -hmm. If I help you win, you have any problem helping me win? And you said, no, I don't mind at all, as long as I win. So how old were you when you wrapped up that career as an investor? Well, I think I was about 60 years old plus. Mm-hmm. Very good. It's been a while. <laughs> okay, so you're. Stum- well, I look back with great. I look back with great fondness, and I have to tell you, the industry has changed so much mm-hmm. since I started it. And, um, but that's true of, of life. You know, it's all life's changing, and you have to be able to change with it. But the business today is a lot more challenging and difficult, if you will, than when I was in it. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. 
So I lived out west in Wyoming for 11 years and went to school at the University of Wyoming. And your name is well known out there, largely because of your book, Cowboy Ethics, which has sold over, I believe, 150,000 copies, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Who thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> Using the backdrop of the American West and the code of the cowboy, Cowboy Ethics found a surprising audience with corporate America, educators, and parents. Please share with us the idea behind the book and more about the code of the cowboy. Well, if you turn the clock back to early 2000, not a week went by that there there wasn't another corporate scandal. And I don't need to go through the list, but it's a long list. Enron, WorldCom, it went on and on and on. And it was just dismaying is all I can say. And a lot of it took place on Wall Street. Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, it was a long, long list. And the truth is, I was always proud to be in the investment industry. My wife was always proud that my husband's in the investment industry. Well, all of a sudden, I didn't feel so proud. I was kind of like embarrassed and almost ashamed, if you will, just because of of the scandals. And so I saw a movie open range that Kevin Costner did and Bob Duvall that literally changed my life. Mm. This is back in 2003. And for those of you listeners who haven't seen the movie, uh, and I've met Kevin a few times, good guy, uh, sort of, of good guys and bad guys, white hats and black mm-hmm. hats, and no in between. And I was fascinated for some reason that movie open range me back to my childhood and I've always enjoyed the written word I don't know why to be honest about it but when I was six years old I've always liked words the writing stuff I didn't have a lot of math skills or life skills I don't have but I could always write and I thought to myself hmm this is bad Wall Street everybody's losing confidence what can one person do I don't mean to be on a high horse, but I've always believed in the power of one, mm-hmm. as, I, as I call it. One person can make a difference. I think it's true. Yes. So I, so I look back over the years. So I said, hmm, I'm going to write a book. And for whatever reason, I, I don't know why I picked Cowboys. And I said, the Code of West was never written down. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to figure this thing out. So I read a hundred Western books, watched 25 of the classic Western movies, Lonesome Dove, Red River. I've seen them all a dozen times, as my wife would tell you. <laughs> and now this came my take on the code of the West. Yeah. There's just 10 principles to live by. Okay. Maybe stay with courage, take pride in your work. Know where to draw the line. I thought the book might sell up 500 copies. And for whatever reason, I, I can't explain it. It has caught on. It literally, Cowboy Ethics literally created a movement. And in 2010, I did a documentary with a guy named Jim Havey out of Denver and called Code of the West, a lot in well in Wyoming. It was a 30-minute, 40-minute documentary. And out of that result, the state of Wyoming in 2010 adopted this this code from the book Jim Owen um, as the official code of the state. Uh, how cool is that? That is as so far cool. as we know, 
Yeah, it's the only state that has a code. But the code, and I give a nod to David Stecklin. David did the amazing photographs. The book is actually a coffee table book. And uh, most amazing pictures. I didn't take them. David mm-hmm. Stecklin, who passed away, unfortunately, did. But the pictures combined with what I like to think is good writing um, is kind of, I married images with what I think is good writing. And the result was something that's, inspiring people I, it's, I can't explain it so we do a lot of work with youth groups boys and girls clubs 4-h ffa and i can document that we have cowboy ethics has reached over seventy thousand young people high school middle school you uh, you know uh, even elementary school kids it's just it's been an amazing ride and all I can say is it's I learned pretty quickly when it comes to ethics. If you want to change the world, you've got you've got to turn to the next look to the next generation. Yes. That's kind of what I've done. Yes, we have companies and all kinds of companies and organizations that, that have that have really bought into cowboy ethics. But in general they're smaller companies and mid size. Mm-hmm. The big companies, I don't think so. They pay lip service to it. But if you look at the large banks and the big, you know, the big companies is still motivated by greed, stock prices, that kind of stuff. Looking back, it was a great ride. I'm really proud of what we did. And and the book is really not about cowboys. Mm -hmm. It's a book about self-discovery, being a better person inside yourself. And so I'm not a cowboy. I don't ride and rope. I just use the inspiration of the iconic cowboy to, you know, to kind of tell the story, if you will. Counting at 300, cowboy ethics talks. You Navy SEALs, FBI Academy, West Point. It's amazing that you know Fortune 500 companies and then small companies, yeah. law firms, CPA firms, cattlemen's associations. And why people would be so interested in this topic, I don't know. I will tell you real quickly, when people talk about ethics, it can be the most boring topic in the world. Uh, It's usually a philosopher from uh, Harvard, you know, the Department of Philosophy, talking about Socrates and Plato. That's hard to identify with that. Or it's a guy from Notre Dame, a theologian, you know. And me, I'm talking about cowboys and cowgirls and horses and that yeah. kind of stuff. And for some reason, the American cowboy, I can't explain. Now, this is the iconic cowboy. Yes. Okay? For some reason, he is still a hero in our, in our culture. Mm-hmm. So you can go to Italy or France and I, even Russia, and I promise you, Everyone there in Japan, they've all got some take on the American cowboy. In Russia, they say cowboy. They don't say cowboy. <laughs> they say cowboy. It's so far, I get a kick out of it. Is it Clint Eastwood? What is it? I, the movies, I suppose, John Wayne, I don't know. But he's a cultural good guy to the, and, and good girl. You know, yeah. Cowgirls are as strong as the men. Exactly. It's just a great story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wanted to get your, your take on that because I know the University of Wyoming released this just 
fantastic ad last year about mm-hmm. we are all cowboys and they got some flack on it. And sure. I was shocked by the response because to me, cowboy and cowgirl, it's kind of one and the same. The values are the same for both genders. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I w- absolutely agree. And most cowgirls, and I, by the way, when I wrote the book, I did not interview a single cowboy or cowgirl or rancher. Okay. Yeah. Most cowgirls that I've met since I wrote the book call themselves cowboys. Mm-hmm. They don't use the term cowgirl yeah. as much. But the university was sensitive. And when you, I was just in Laramie uh, last week, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the, at the university is now called, you know, home of the cowboy and They've added cowgirls oh. since you were there. And I suppose it's a good idea, you know, but if you ask any cowgirl, they often use the word cowboy mm-hmm. to describe men and women. Yes. Amen. I'm a cowboy. Amen. I'm a proud cowboy. I'm not a cowgirl. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just, but, but the truth is the cow, if you talk about women, the women, who work on these ranches oh, are oh as tough yes. as the men. Absolutely nobody would, would ever argue with that. They're tough. They're smart. Yes. And they are as good with horses and all the other stuff and cattle as any man ever thought about being. Okay. They're really very special. Mm-hmm. And they love the animals. They love being outdoors. And oftentimes they're, quote, misfits. They, both cowboys and cowgirls, from my experience, aren't totally comfortable living in a big city kind of mm-hmm. thing. They like yes. the outdoors. They like being close to, the, to, to nature. And it's not about the money. It's a, it's a tough, tough business to run a ranch. You know, you got the seasons, the weather, mm-hmm. you have grasshoppers, they have too much rain one year, next year, no rain. And so it's, but they like the challenge yes. and they kind of like being tested. Yeah. And that's all I can say, but they, they don't do it for the, for the income or unlike say wall street, it's all you know money oriented. They do it to leave it for their kids. They it's, there's an expression, leave it better than you found it. Mm-hmm. And that's what people that own ranches do. They, they don't do it for themselves. It's for their, not even for their kids. It's their kids' kids. Yeah. It's a generational uh, thing. And I really respect that. So they're very, go to Wyoming and somebody will say, my ranch has been in the family for 130 years. Mm-hmm. And they're so proud of that. Yes. Now, are they making, quote, a ton of money off the ranch? That's not why they do it. They can make more money working in town, uh, but they love it. They love the getting up, you know, five o'clock, feeding the, the cows and the horses and that kind of stuff. It's a tough, tough life, but it just it brings you back to nature and back to the way you know things were. In a, it's a simpler time. That's, I think that sums it up. A simpler time when right was right, wrong was wrong. There were no gray areas to the cowboy. And I can't, to be honest with that, I still look at the world that way. It's, it's, I, we live in a, in a today in, a, in a, an environment of gray areas. Well, on the one hand this, on the other hand that. 
cowboy said, black is black, white is white. That's, I kind of look at the world that way myself. Yes, that's so It's good. not that goody-goody two-shoes. It's just a way of looking at the world. Yeah. And I choose to look at it that way. Yeah. That's and, what yeah, you know, and kept I, me going all these years. Yeah, and I think of, of being a cowboy, it's, it's not really what you do. It's who you are. It's, it's, about, you, it's uh, about a way of being. You nailed it. it. You said it better than I did. Hell, I wrote the book. But that's, that's, you actually nailed it. That's exactly what it is. It's it's, it's about who you are, and this whole idea of self discovery, um, it just, it just to me, it just means that what values define you. Okay, what do you stand for? And when I say that we work with these kids, it's not lecturing kids. You can't do it. Doesn't work. Mm-mm. It's tell me about you, your values, and the kids can do it. And what we hear every day is no one ever asked me that question. Mm-hmm. They lecture me. Now, listen, don't do this. Do this. And no one likes to you know, be told what to do. But this is about, when I say self-discovery, it's so right on just a one-pager. Don't worry about spelling. Don't worry about composition. It's, this is all right brain. What values define you? What's most important in your life? And there's no one answer. Well, to me, you can say it's family. It's something else. It's this or that. It's the environment, whatever it may be. Okay? There's no right or wrong to it. It's just looking, opening up your heart. And a lot of people are very embarrassed to do this. It's like, I don't do that. I'm a lawyer or I'm a (laughs) CPA. Mm -hmm. That's all left brain stuff. It's interesting. But I'm more interested myself uh, of the right people who are right brain. I'm a creative guy. Always have been. And I approach problems in life, you know, with a creative thing. That's just my way of looking at the world. And to me, opening up your heart is a lot more interesting than telling me about how good of a student you were, what your grades were. How much money you make? I find that pretty doggone boring myself. Yeah, and the older I get, yeah, yeah, the more I get bored talking about. Yeah, and there's just so much emphasis on those kids who are the 4.0 and above students, and where they're going to go to college, and how that reflects back on the school and the school system. That you know, you're you're missing the majority of of people and the opportunity. You know, it is not all about the grades. We preach that in my home. You know, it's about, it's about being a good person. It's about being humble and kind and, and treating those you know and love with respect. I mean, and that absolutely, message. Tr- absolutely true. And the problem is, and I'm not getting again on a high horse, but we live today in a society where a lot of homes are broken. Yeah. Where's dad? Mm-hmm. There's a long pause. Yeah. Well, dad's, I don't know who my dad is. My dad's in jail. Or mom didn't come home last night. When you get, when you work with the boys and girls clubs, you hear these stories. You realize, oh my goodness, the system really is kind of broken. I don't have an answer for it. I don't pretend that I do. But we have to open our hearts to some of these kids who are at a disadvantage and not just get so focused on kids. I think it's wonderful 
And somebody says, my son went to Yale, Harvard. I think that's terrific. God bless him and you. But that's a very, what's that, one-tenth of one percent of the population. I'm more worried about somebody who is struggling to get by, but they do the best they can with what they've got. That's what life is. Given your issues, given your background, given your troubles, given whatever, okay, take responsibility for your life because you are the author of your own life story. It ain't me. I can't do it for you. You have to do it. And that's sort of the message of cowboy ethics. Mm -hmm. You're the author of your own life story. And what we've got to get back to is is the notion of the cowboys and cowgirls know it takes hard work. Yes. It takes mm-hmm. real effort yeah. to work on a ranch. Mm-hmm. Now, if it was all riding and roping, that'd be great. It's also jobs that no one wants to do. Mending fences was 105 degrees. That's hard work. Yes. And so feeding the animals when it's, when it's below zero, yes. say, I think I'm going to sleep in today. I don't think so. I think somebody's got to feed the animals. And if you don't get out of bed, I know it's 10 degrees below zero in Montana. Who's going to feed them? And the answer is, I've got to be responsible. This is my job. I'm going to do it to the best I can. And that's why when you, when you meet people who live in Wyoming, as you did, Montana, I have so much respect for them. But farmers have the same mindset. So farmers, cowboys, they're all the same. They just work on, work on the land, work with animals, and very, I think, more conscientious of, of the good things in life than a, a lot of people who may work in the cities. If you were so stressed, just getting to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. I would much rather sit down and talk to somebody who is working for a small nonprofit who has a degree in sociology and is mm-hmm really affecting true life change in their little sphere of the world. You know, give me a a coffee chat with that person any day versus somebody with an Ivy League education because what can you do to make the world better? That should be the big question. I know. I echo that. I'm going to tell you, if I may, one real quick story. Absolutely. There's a wonderful professor. I didn't go to Harvard Business School. I didn't go to business school. But there's a wonderful professor there, I guess the most popular, professor at Harvard Business School, so I've read, said it's interesting that every five years they bring all the grads back. And he said in the first five-year reunion of Harvard Business School graduates, almost everyone comes back. And he said what we drops off. You come at 10th anniversaries, it really drops off at 15 and 20 years. And he said, why? Why is that true? And he did some research, and he said, you know, a lot of our graduates, top students, are embarrassed. They're on their third marriage. Their kids are drug addicts. They're, yes, they've made money, perhaps, but their lives are a mess, and they're embarrassed to come back. And here are the brightest of the brightest, he said. We're doing something wrong in school if all we're doing is teaching, you know, finance and accounting and stuff like this. We've got to get beyond that. And I, I couldn't agree more. So a lot of people, okay, so you've made some money. And I've, I've 
this is in the book, Cowboy Ethics, okay? Anyone, anyone can make money. It's much harder to make a difference. Yes. So when you look at people who've mm-hmm. got, quote, money, yeah. a lot of them are miserable people, miserable with themselves. And they know it. They look in the mirror and say, what have I done with my life? Yeah, I've made some money. My, you know, we're, we're the, uh, the whole family is materialistic. This is not good. Yeah. You've got to go beyond that. And so, again, I don't want to be on a high horse. I'm not Mr. Perfect. Or, no, I don't look at the world that way. I just do the best that I can, given my shortcomings, given my own weaknesses. Just do the best that I can do. That's all you can do. Well, I love the example that you're setting for what can one person do. You mm-hmm. know, I, your impact with cowboy ethics Oh, my word. I mean, you just you, you will never know the ripple effects that book is having in the world. And you've, you've switched gears and have written you have a kind of a new life calling now. I'd love to, to talk a little bit more about that and how when you reached the age of 70, your life took a surprising turn. Tell us more about that. Well, when I turned 70, I was in terrible shape. My back was killing me. I mean, excruciating pain. Both knees were shot. My right rotator cuff was frozen. Oh. Um, that means I couldn't yeah. raise my right uh, arm, you know, even parallel. And if that weren't enough, I was probably 20 to 25 pounds overweight. And uh, I, I was a mess, to be honest about it. I looked in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget on my 70th birthday, and I said, "Oh my God, this is what old age looks like." And I and I came across one statistic that has changed my life, much like this movie did, you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. Open range. This one statistic. Okay, I want to share with your audience. And this is not my opinion. This is like Harvard Medical School or something like that, Mayo Clinic. If you make it to 70, this is a, out of a big, big, big population. This is not 10 people from Finland. This is 100,000 people. If you make it to 70, statistically, you will live at, at a minimum another 15 years. Wow, that's good. Hmm. And I said to myself, hmm, if I look like this now, can you imagine in 15 mm-hmm. years, I'll be, I don't know, with a walking cane or limping or in a wheelchair. And so, I mean, it's all downhill. So I said, I've got to do something. Hmm. Now, what is that something? I was never an exercise nut. Oh, when I was a kid, you know, in high school, you know, ex- you know, in sports and all. And I wasn't that athletic. I was kind of slow and cumbersome, whatever. But I was too busy when I built my career to, to really exercise. I took a stab at it when I was about 50, got hurt, lifting, quote, weights with a bodybuilder. Can you imagine oh. that? I mean, I was nuts. And so for a long time, I said, I'm not going to do anything. And I was traveling, doing my cowboy ethics, late night dinners, oh, airports, you know, just having you know, drinks at dinner with people and that kind of stuff. And I said, I've got to do something. And so I, I didn't know what to do. And I started reading and talking to people. And out of this, I said, okay, I know what to do. I've got to start exercising. 
And all I can say is nine years later, okay, I'll be 79 in October. Um, I'm in the best shape today of my life. I weigh less than I did in high school. That's amazing. And I could not do one push-up on the first day I worked mm. out. It's really embarrassing. Mm. Like, what? Anybody can do one. I couldn't. I can do 50 push-ups now. I don't no do it every day, but I do at least, you know, once a week, I do push-ups. And mm-hmm. I'm banging out 50. The funny thing is that no one believes this. 50 is no harder than five if you're out of shape, if you're weak. And so what I did, I set real short-term goals. And also, it's a mental thing. Again, my people would, would, you know, you might challenge this. I can promise you, this is what I've learned, is that getting fit, staying fit, is about 70% mental. It's, it's a mental challenge, not yes. physical at all. Totally so I right. couldn't do one yeah. push-up. And I said, hmm, maybe I can do one. I just kept working at it. Said, okay, I did one, pretty good form. Maybe I can do two. And then, and then maybe I can do three. But I didn't put a time on it. I said, if it takes me six months, I'm not going anyplace. I'm, so it took, you know, maybe, maybe at the end of six months, maybe I could do five with good form. And then, once you do five, well, maybe I can do ten. But small baby steps, mm-hmm. uh, continuing to progress, so you have to, but you don't have to kill yourself. It's amazing how it adds up over time. Yes. So I, I'm down to about 150, 354. I weighed, I weighed over 200 pounds. Not that long ago, actually. It wasn't fat. It just I was kind of bulky. Yes. And now I'm down to about 153, 54 Never felt better. I have more energy today than I did when I was 50. Yeah. All because I've sort of watched what I put in my mouth, um, try to keep stress under control, try to keep a positive attitude about things. But I have to share with you one you know, thing that I think your audience might want to hear. Mm-hmm. Part of this whole you know, positive balance on life is having a purpose. And I look at the I look at my friends who are, you know, late seventies, early eighties, a lot of them have given up on life. Mm-hmm. And they said they, they say to themselves, their their loved ones, my best days are behind me. Yes. And that's what I thought when I turned seventy. My best days are over. Are you kidding me today? I said, my best days are still lie ahead. You wait and see. I, I think that's true. So it's, there's a positive attitude that a lot of older people withdraw from life. Mm-hmm. And it's not a matter of being it's just it's just being social and I don't, in the sense of having friendships, a sense of gratitude, of, of but I call it a sense of purpose. It may be that you're giving a helping hand to a grandson or granddaughter who's struggling. That's making a difference in somebody's life. You'd be surprised that you can do this when you're 85 years old. You can, your heart can go out and say, I'm going to help the homeless. I'm going to help this or that. And so just having a purpose to me, what that means is 
every day when you wake up, you sort of know what the day is going to look like. So I become sort of a fitness crusader. I'm not selling protein powder. <laughs> I'm not a trainer. I don't want to be a life coach. Nobody has to buy my book. You know, buy if you want to. Don't buy it. But I'm just spreading the message that that when you get older, it's really, really important, you know, to 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 work on these things because your body was made to move. Yes. Your body was not made to sit. And I didn't know this, but sitting is a good part of the problem. The average American adult sits between 8 and 11 hours a day. Oh. Riding in cars, watching oh, TV, look, staring at a computer screen. And so this is not about, say, I want to be Mr. America, or I want to look good in a bathing suit. It's nothing to do with that. It's being what I call functionally fit. And that just simply means... I want to be able to move through the everyday actions of life, you know, getting up from a chair, walking down the hall to go to the bathroom, whatever, just ordinary things. Mm -hmm. Drop a purse, for example, if you're a woman on the ground, being able to pick it up and not say, oh, my back's gone out. So that's what I call functional fitness. This has nothing to do with bodybuilding, nothing to do with how much weight you can lift. You don't even have to have weights. You can just do it with your, with your body weight. Mm -hmm. But you've got our bodies were m made to move. We forget that when we get older. Well, I've worked hard my whole life. I deserve some rest. They sit on the couch and then wonder, gosh, I wonder why I have so many aches and pains. It just, it hurts to walk. It hurts to, I can't sleep. The answer is get off the couch. As, as I say, your couch it's not your best friend. Got, if all you do is walk, you'll feel so much better. I promise you. doesn't matter how far you walk. You don't have to walk 10,000 steps. You know, just walk for 20 minutes. Walk for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay? Do some stretching. And I think everybody needs to do strength training. And then here's where people groan. Oh, my. He's talking about being a bodybuilder. No, I'm not. You don't have to. You can do it at home. Okay, but you just maybe you, you just use your body weight. But you but you've got to you've got to move, and you've got to in some fashion challenge your muscles, because the reason people, you know, say, oh this this hurts or I don't feel the reason is you're not used to moving. Mm -hmm. Okay, so people say, gee, I can't do a squat. Well, you better learn to do a squat because presumably if you drop a dollar bill, you have to squat to pick it up. Yes. If you're putting away groceries, okay, presumably you have to turn your body to put the groceries away. You have to reach. Well, that takes a certain amount of strength. A lot of women say, oh, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to, I don't want to you know, build big muscle. <laughs> it makes me laugh. You're not going to build muscle if you spent five hours in the gym if you're a woman. Your, your body's not going to do it. If you're a man, you know, you know don't, don't even think about building big muscles. I look at it and say, I just, I just want to be, I, I want to be healthy on the inside. If I do that, the outside takes care of itself. So it's not that I'm in Mr. Perfect Shape, but 
I go to the doctor and he says, my gosh, you, you, you know, you, you look like you're, how old are you, Tim? You're, you're 67. No doctor. I'm, I'm 78. What? You must be kidding. No. He says, well, you've got your blood pressure, your heart rate, all those things. So it's not, it's, it's about real strength, real this whole, this whole thing starts on the inside of the body, not the outside. The outside is a superficial stuff. If you do all this stuff, okay, it takes about an hour a day, okay, working on your flexibility, working on your strength, working on your core. I didn't know what core meant. I thought, you mean your six-pack? No, core is a band, like a girdle around your lower upper body. Mm-hmm. If it's weak, and mine was just awfully weak, you're gonna have back. You're gonna have back issues. I guarantee you. So when I first year or two, I would guess a, a third of what I did was about the core. Now my core is the best part of my body. That's my strongest part of the body. I have zero back pain. None. Nada. I said, "What is that worth?" The answer is priceless. Yes. So to kind of wrap this up about fitness, uh, I, I I work an hour a day five, six days a week, and all I can say is, as an investment guy, it's the best investment I ever made. I guarantee you that. Isn't that true? So and I, there's also the benefits mentally of working out as well. Well, it's funny that you bring this up um, because, and I, again, I'm not, I, I don't have a MD after my name. I don't claim to be a gerontologist. All I can say is, there's something that happens to your brain, and I cannot explain it in medical terms. Um, there's a very positive uh, impact on the brain, and it lessens the odds of dementia. Yes. That's been proven yes. and proven time and time again. And again, it's not lifting heavy weights. At all. We're not talking, we're just talking about getting the heart rate going. Um, Blood flow, oxygen, yeah, oxygen flows, all that good stuff. Um, Doesn't mean you're not going to have it. And by the way, you can be the most fit man or woman alive. You can still have issues. So let's don't kid ourselves. But I have a a speech. I'm I'm, I've really worked hard. It's like my cowboy ethics speech is called "Standing Tall in an Upside Down World." That's my. 30, 40 minute talk I give. And my my talk on on fitness, if you will, or wellness, whatever you want to call it, is called live live longer, live better. Mm-hmm. And all I can say is I made a decision to take control of my future. When I was when I turned seventy, I said, I'm gonna do whatever I can. And I bought a T shirt. If you want, if you want to say, Jim, what's the secret to getting fit? Well, the secret is there's no, <laughs> there's no secret. But I'll give your listeners a tip. When I first started working out, I I bought a compression shirt. You know what that is? Yeah, of course. I bought a compression shirt, and my friend said, Jim, you must have no pride at all. It was an extra, extra large shirt. If you want inspiration, if you if you want if you want motivation, buy and you're overweight, get a compression shirt where people look at you and turn away. <laughs> like this guy must have no pride. 
can somebody tell him, sir, you're overweight. Don't wear a compression shirt. That just motivated me. And now I wear a medium compression shirt. I'm, oh, I'm nice. ripped. Sure. Look, and so I, I, for some reason, I don't know why, I've always loved, I, again, I'm, I've, I've loved war since I was a little kid. I don't know why. I, I, I had my design gal make up a T-shirt that says 80 years young. That's awesome. And I started wearing it about five years ago. They said, are you 80? I said, no, that's, it's aspirational. I'm 75. <laughs> I want to be 80 years young. And I wear this almost, you know, three or four times a week. And when I worked out, I have a, a shirt. Again, these are all compression shirts. The, the shirt says geezer fit, geezer dash fit. <laughs> And I wear this when I go to, when I walk around Austin, Texas. There's, gee, this guy's got a geezer fit. That is and, awesome. But it's funny. It just keeps keeps me motivated. And uh, I love it. I have a web, a brand new, uh, I'm, I'm a computer guy. I just, I, my mind doesn't work that way. But I just, I just own the domain, I guess you call it, what do you call this? And this, you know, uh, Live, live longer, live, live better. And I think this is going to make a nice gift for somebody. You know, it could be on a T-shirt, could be on a uh, whatever. I don't know, glasses, a wine glass, whatever. It's just a, it's just a philosophy that appeals to me. Live longer, live better. But by the way, no matter how fit you are, believe me, you can get hit. Okay, with a disease or something happens to you out of nowhere. We all know that, mm -hmm. but I want to give you, I want to give your audience and, and, and I've gone way beyond my allotted, you know, interview no, you're time. Good. You're good. But I, but I want to, I, I do want to make, make one point that I, this is on, on a serious note. Okay. There's, there are a hundred million people, Americans over the age of 50. Now that's not me talking. That's, mm -hmm. that's the, that's the, Census talking, 100 million people. Would you believe that 70 million people, that's, again, of the 100 million, 70 million people are dealing with one or more serious chronic health conditions? That's the fact. Yes. Say what? Mm -hmm. High blood pressure, heart disease, cancer. So, and these are what we call non-communicable diseases. Mm -hmm. And I want I want to throw this out to your audience. What do you think these these life-threatening diseases have in common? What's the common thread? Behavior. It is mm -hmm. behavior. The, the, the word that I use is it's, it's behavior slash lifestyle oriented. Yes. So. For the women in the audience, let's just take an example. This is there's no jokes. This is not you know. This is just serious stuff. Okay. If you smoke, if you're a woman and you smoke, and you say, "I do no exercise at all," and you're overweight, you will likely have breast cancer. Unfair, sure. Life's unfair. And so, what I'm on the my gym's mission today is I want everybody to know, okay, 
40% of Americans are obese. That's a medical term, obese. So we have the dubious distinction. We are the, the most obese country in the world. We're number one, more than Mexico, Brazil, you name it. And a lot of us do the fact is we're eating junk food. We're eating, you know, and again, I'm not a... I'm not a goody goody two shoe guy. Okay. I'm just saying you got to watch what you put in your mouth. Yes. Okay. Not exercising at all or enough. And this obesity um, is, is causing havoc. So just imagine if you go to the airport today, doesn't matter if it's Atlanta, New York, San Francisco, when you look at the people in the airport waiting to get your plane. The rate of obesity, I'm not talking about saying I need to lose 20 pounds. I'm not talking about that. That's overweight, obesity, okay? You can say those people are going to face a future of, of pretty bad pain, hips, backs, knees, and so on. And who's going to pay for this? So like most of your listeners, I'm guessing, I I watched not the whole thing, but I watched you know maybe half of the debates, uh, Democratic debates. Not one person brought up prevention. Not one. Our president, whether you like him or don't like him, says I hate exercising. So we live in a world where everybody's talking about how do we pay for health insurance. What I'm on a mission to talk about is why don't we start a conversation about every single person needs to accept some responsibility, like Calvary Ethics, for their health. Okay? And my heart goes out to somebody who's got diabetes or cancer, mm-hmm. but if you're not doing anything, it's, we're going we're gonna to bankrupt the country. It's, it's, it's out of control. And so that's, that's, that's why I'm on this telephone call, so to speak. Um, that's why I've, I wrote this book, Just Move, J-U-S-T, Move, published by National Geographic. And I'm in the healthy aging. Again, it doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter how fit you are. You can still get hit. So it's about, if, if you said, Jim, what are the percentages? Well, I just told you it's about 75% lifestyle, these life-threatening diseases. It's about 10 to 25%, the quote, health experts would say, um, is genetics. So if you have in your family, for example, health issues, and this is not uncommon, could be whatever it could be, you have to address that. But you can still you can still overcome it to some degree, to a large degree, yeah. by taking better care of yourself. Well, and that's the so, good news. It's yeah. never too late to start working out or, or making healthy never, eating. I'm options. living proof. Mm-hmm. I'm living proof. Now, if you're so, I I believe, and and, and again, this kind of wrap this up. I'm good to go. I'm just wrapping this up for you know for benefit of your timetable. If you think about this thing. If you're if you're 25 or 30 years of age, or you know, if you're a quote young person, <laughs> not sure not me anymore. You know, when when you say exercise or fitness or wellness, you're 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 
the goal is I need to, I'm getting married in six months. I need to lose 15 pounds for my wedding or I want to look good in a bathing suit where the guys say, I want to, I want to attract the girls at the beach. That's fine and dandy when you're 20 or 30. When you get about 50, it's much more, hell, it's much more practical. What can I do today so I don't have aches and pains when I'm 60 or 70? What can I do to stay independent and not, and not have to say to my kids, dad needs you to take care of him. You can't take it. I said, I would shoot myself before I said to my kids, you can't go on vacation. You've got to come and take care of your father. I, I, would, I couldn't take that. So this is not a selfish thing. It's just the opposite. In my opinion, it's just the opposite. And so what can I do to live a healthy, active life as long as I can? Now, there'll be a point where no matter how fit Jim is, no matter how much I work out or I mean, someday, I mean, I, we know this, okay? I'm, I'm going to be, okay, in an in a assisted living place of, of some kind, okay? But it ain't going to be today. That's all I can say. I say this every day. <laughs> it ain't today. could be tomorrow. could be next week. But by golly, I'm going to do whatever I can today. I'm going to work out today. Doesn't mean kill myself. I, didn't, I never said that. Yes. Cardio. Do something with resistance training. It doesn't matter. Bands are good. It's all, it's all good stuff. Just do something to be active, okay? I'm going to work on stress, and stress is part of our all of our lives today. Just pick up today's paper, and you're stressed. Oh That's yes. what happened to horrors and you know Paso and, and uh, Dayton. We, we all feel stress. What can I do on to be have a more positive attitude? And then what I'm really into myself. It's this idea of a sense of purpose, a reason to get up in the morning, a reason. You know, it's just so funny. Everything that you read tells, tells me, my research tells me, people who have a sense of purpose. Again, that doesn't mean finding a cure for cancer. Nothing to do with that. It can be, I'm, I'm going to be a role model for a grandson or granddaughter who's struggling I'm going to lend a helping hand to a homeless person. It's just, what can I do? Okay. That's a sense of purpose. It doesn't need to be something, you know, extraordinary. No, just going to reach out. Those people with a sense of purpose absolutely not only live longer than those who don't have a sense of purpose, they live with more joy and satisfaction as they, as they look back over the years. Absolutely true. Yes, and I'm so gonna my, echo my back. messages. Yeah, is you, you need to find a purpose. Yes. Now, it, it, of course, when you're younger, it's I need a career. I've got I've got to pay mortgages. I've got to raise my family. That's all. That's all true. But at a certain point in your life, presumably you're you're older, when you're 65, 70, whatever. Presumably you have, you have the time to think about these things. That's all. Yeah. And I, like any behavior change, it starts with baby steps. I think people baby get steps. overwhelmed mm -hmm. with the bigger picture of, mm -hmm. oh my God, I'm 70, I'm in terror, or 50 or 30. I mean, I know plenty of people who are out of shape and are a fraction of the age uh, that you are. But 
you know, you just, you just got to get moving. And that's, I love the, the title of your book, that it's, it's not, you know, discovering the Adonis within. It's like, no, nope. just move. Well, it's very funny. You, you, you just said two words that I, I don't talk about too much. It, I mean, I don't know why. It's just people are hard, have a hard time with this, okay, for some reason. But it's just funny. You hit my hot button. You know what the two words were? What's that? But it's it's behavioral change. Yes. And I'm I've I've started a doc. I'm I'm doing a documentary called The Art of Aging Well. Mm. And it's got a three minute documentary. I have a I have a colleague, Jim Havy, who lives in Denver, where I used to live. And I've known Jim for thirty years, and we've done projects over the years. Jim's the one that did the Alive and well in Wyoming. Again, I'm a producer. And what does that mean, producer? Well, you raise the money, you hire the people, you start to do the marketing. But I'm not a, I don't get behind the camera. That's what Jim does. Jim has won three Emmys, not one, three Emmys for documentaries. So my goal is to win a documentary for this little, it's called The Art of Aging Well. And the whole, it's all about, can we change behavior? That's what Jim and I are trying to do. You cannot do it by hectoring, cannot do it by body shaming. You cannot do it by saying, now listen to me. You've got to get off the couch and you've got to walk. Adults say, don't tell me what to do. I, I, all my life. My mom, my dad said, you know, eat your peas or whatever. The boss said, do this. I'm too old to do what you, anybody tells me to do. I understand that. So we're trying to inspire people. We're trying to change behavior by inspiring people. And I, I believe my heart, we can do it. So we started this thing in June. And we're, simple, we're, we're doing inspirational stories of people who overcome. Mm. So... Somebody who's a an athlete will say that that's a true story. Gets not just hit by by a truck. We're talking about half his body was broken. Okay, the doctor says you'll never walk again. The guy says, "Well, thank you, doctor." He goes through rehab. Can you imagine the pain the guy goes through? Every bone in his body starts because broken. Okay, and the guy one year goes by. This guy is now swimming. He is on his bicycle. I said, oh, my gosh. Well, that's a story. You feel bad because you've got this or that. How would you feel if you if the doctors told you you'll never walk again because of, of your injury? This guy says, thank you, doctor. He goes back and he goes through rehab twice a day. And a year goes by, and he says, I'll be doing Ironman competitions. Just give me a couple of more years. I said, what? Oh, yeah. So when I feel bad, I've got arthritis in my left hand. Poor me. So the highest to tell these stories of somebody who's overcome, okay? And so I'm looking for inspiring mm-hmm. stories right now. And so we're, we're film, we've already started filming. What we have so far is great. If all goes well, we should be finished sometime, you know, late spring, maybe as late as May. But the idea is we're going to give 
the film away. Give it away. Mm. So if you're in an old folks' home, if you're in a YMCA, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, there it is. This is a public service thing. Nothing with Republicans and Democrats is everybody. Let's put that aside and say everybody, okay, needs to get off the couch and do something. Otherwise, we spend $3 trillion a year right today, more than that actually, on health care. It's going to be $5 trillion if we don't work on prevention, okay? And that's what I'm talking about. It's what can, what can I do as an individual to live a healthy, longer life as long as I can, knowing at some point I'll probably have Alzheimer's or, you know, it, I hope it's not for 10 years, but sure, at some point the body does wear out like a car. But anyway, oh, that's where I'm doing the documentary. Well, that's an exciting project, and I definitely would love to have you back on the, po- the podcast to talk about it because that I, I love projects like that that are grassroots where one person sees a need and an opportunity and is has energy and resources and uh, just makes it happen. So way to tackle yet another amazing thing, Jim. So one last question for you. The word relevate means to uplift or inspire. What words do you have to encourage our listeners as it relates to cowboy code or finding fitness no matter what phase of your life you're in? I would say that I, I use the term standing tall. That's, that's how I picture an inspiration, standing tall in an upside-down world. The world's upside-down to a lot of us. We're off track somehow. And I believe what it's all about is reaching for the best in yourself mm-hmm. and using the power you have to lift up others. That's what I personally, that's my personal philosophy. Uh, reaching for the best in yourself, okay, mentally, physically, and oh, spiritually, of course, and using that power. See, you're doing that right. You're doing this with your podcast. That's what you're doing right now. You're helping other people to think about these things and to reach for the best in themselves. Mm-hmm. The second part of that is use that power to lift up others. And you say, well, how do you do that? You can be a role model, just a humble role model, and have somebody say. If this Jim Owen, if he can do it, this guy's not an athlete, he's not coordinated. If this old guy can look like this when he's 80, surely I can, you know, do something to improve the way I feel and to help me live better. That's what I'm doing, trying to do. There's a power you have, and that's what you're doing with your podcast. Without you even saying, I know from talking to you before, that's what you're doing. That's your that's your mission in life is to help others, is to is to reach for the best in themselves. Yes, but it's not just about physical, it's mentally, it's also spiritually. Right. And I, I love the fact tool. that you've you've talked about upside down world a lot because if you watch the news or kind of list, listen to the, the chatter, it you know, you would think that we are living in just the most terrific of times. And I know for me, I wake up with a song in my heart and 
you know, just so humble to have the chance for another day. I live in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. And I mean, life is really so sweet. It's, it's, you know, it starts with you and your worldview and how you're influencing the world. And you just have to turn that, that's, you know, the, the, the talking heads off because it's a distorted view of the world. Would you not agree? It is. And, and you know what, the first time we talked, do you know the word that I would use? And I've not met you. I'm just I'm only talking to you. I've just done this interview. And I hope I didn't talk too much because but I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. Oh, I have so much. Do you know what came do you know what came across how you came across to me when we first talked on the phone? No. You have a sense of gratitude. Mm. Yes. That's what we need to encourage in people's lives. Yes. Gratitude. Yes, the world may be chaotic. The world can be upside down. But if you are a complete person, what you, my take on you, per, and we have not, I've not even met you, but what you, if there's one word that describes you, it's gratitude. I can, it's in your voice. It's in your demeanor. It's what you, and it's gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for my health, my family, for my outlook on life. Yeah. And that's what we need to encourage is gratitude. It's not the cynicism. It's not the bitterness. And it's not the woe is me. And it's not any of that. It's just gratitude that we all need to feel. And that's, what, that's how you come across. And that's why you're doing the podcast. It's gratitude that you're sharing with other people. That's what's that's how I would describe you. I haven't, I haven't even met you. That's how you come across. Gratitude for your what, whatever you've got, health, family, spiritual life, and it shows in the way you deal with other people. That's what we need more of. Amen. You personify it. Amen. So Thank you, you so yourself much. have become a role model, and that's why I admired about you before when I just on the phone. It doesn't take me long to kind of say, huh, really interesting. You're not cynical, you're not bitter, and you're not a victim. I, I don't like victims. No. Oh, it's not my fault. You know, no, no. What can I do? And expressing gratitude is such a wonderful way of going through life when you're older, particularly. You've got it. Well, thank you, Jim Owen. You just uh, about made me cry on, on that note. I thank you for your time and your unbelievable example that you set for people young and old for your fantastic cowboy ethics. I will link your books to the episode notes and I just thank you for your time and be blessed. Keep working hard. Keep wearing those compression shirts. And uh, when, <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. A lot fantastic. of fun. Thank you. I hope you were taking notes because there was a lot of serious life lessons to be learned in this episode. Here are just a few as shared by Jim. When you take a selfish view towards business, such as, in order for me to win, somebody has to lose, that it leads to a toxic environment. Yes, it does. And can we please just stop it? Here's another one. Anyone can make money. It's much harder to make a difference. Oh, yeah. And one more. When you reach for the best in yourself, you then use that power to lift up others. Seriously, so good. 
In addition to his words of wisdom, may we also be inspired by Jim's life example to keep living, keep dreaming, and creating and making a difference in the world, no matter our age. Thank you, Jim, for being living proof that with the right attitude, the best years are always still to come. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.